This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Thanks for being a part. Thanks for joining us online. If you're new to Gateway today, thank you. My name is Tom, and I get to serve on the team here. And before we kind of dive into our teaching for today out of the book of Philippians, I just want to extend um, thanks on behalf of Jen and myself for your prayers. Many know that Jen's mother passed away in our home just a couple weeks ago, and um, um, we, we said goodbye to her um, as a family. A family had gathered. It was really a wonderful time, and I say that knowing that you understand what I mean by that. Her, she had a hope, you know, um, to join her husband in heaven. That hope is real, isn't it? And we believe that, and so we, we, we talk about these things rejoicing that she is with her Savior. Um, I'll tell you a quick little funny story. Um, she passed away on Friday morning. Our oldest son, who had moved in to help with her care in her final days, went into her room on Thursday morning, and she was able to talk some, and she looked up at Brad, and she said this, I don't think I have passed yet. (laughs) To which Brad said, no, Grandma, not yet. And she said, good, because I don't feel so well. (laughs) She knew that when she got to heaven, when she passed from here to there, life was going to be a whole lot better, right? Pain-free and all. That's, that's the hope that we have as believers, isn't it? And so we rejoice in that. I just want to affirm what Jason said a few minutes ago. If you're new to Gateway, we're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching best-we-can church. We believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and it's to direct our lives and teaches us in all things. Sometimes it corrects us, Right? Sometimes we don't like that correction, but the Bible corrects us, speaks to us about everyday life. And that's really what we've been talking about in this series um, from Paul's prison prison letters. Um, In Psalm 15, I I begin my daily devotions in in Psalms every every day, and then I get into my my Bible reading program. But in Psalm 15, um, I was just noticing this past week how how David um, really speaks to us in terms of being a follower of Jesus. And he says, like, this is what your life should look like. As you follow him, it looks this way. These are characteristics of being a believer, of being a follower of Jesus. And so as we kind of dive into Philippians chapter 2 today, I want us to be thinking about that because this is what Paul is doing. But he's doing so in a way that speaks to the community. So we'll get there in just a few moments. Um, but let me ask you this question. It's coming up on the screen. How does your life journal read today? If you were to go to your life journal, maybe some of you actually physically wrote something down, mentally you did, you took some notes. How does your life journal read today? So as Jen and I were away for a few days following the, the passing of her mom, we did a lot of reflecting on, on her life, of course, and on life, life in general. And if if you were to read my journal, if, you, if I were to journal that, how, how would it read? W- would, it, would it read this way? Doubts? Would it, would it speak of struggles, perhaps, or challenges, or maybe fears, or, or worries? And for some of us, the answer is probably yes. And I say to you, that's, that's okay to have those types of thoughts and those types of thinking. Um, God handles our questions really, really well. Have you noticed that? I just say, like, do our questions lead us to a deeper relationship with him and with, with truth? 
But have you ever been around someone, around a person, with, when leaving them, whether you were exposed to their life journal or, or not, you thought this, wow, that was a wasted hour. <laughs> Have you ever thought that, like, I just spent my time listening to this person complain um, about life and how difficult life is? Um, but the reverse is also true, isn't it? Have you ever, have you ever known a person who is struggling in, in life, perhaps, yet it's from that place that they encourage everyone around them, and you walk away not with, that was a wasted hour. I could spend another hour with that person. Have you been there? I have too. Um, and we all have. So Mario asked a really good question a couple weeks ago when he launched this, this series out of Philippians. And, and I want to put it up on the screen because I want to ask you the same thing. Here it is right here. What do you think Paul's life journal included? I mean, if there was a guy who complained about life, it was probably the Apostle Paul, right? You can read about his struggles. You can read about the times that he was beaten and his days of imprisonment. imprisonment. What, what would it read? Well, we know because we, ha- we have the Bible, right? But just think about what he could have written. He could have complained about the treatment that he had received and he was receiving. He could have complained about the food right? The lack of respect or the lack of resources, and the list could go on and on. He could have done that, but he didn't. Instead, he encouraged the church, he encouraged you and me, and through his writings, the inspired Word of God, we walk away with, I could have more of that. And I pray that's your experience as we read the Bible and as we join together in looking at the book of Philippians. Now, um, it's one of Paul's four prison letters. We've, we've talked about that. Kind of a little historical again. Paul traveled through Philippi during his second missionary journey. And in response to a vision in Acts chapter 16, Acts is the historical book of the New Testament. So I divide the New Testament really into three sections. So there's the Gospels, there's the book of history, Acts, and then instructional books where we learn how to walk out this life. But in Acts 16, he meets a, a gal named Lydia, who has been a dealer in purple cloth, which meant, meant that she was p- probably pretty well-to-do. And as he shares the gospel with her, she responds, and she opens up her home to them because of her wealth, possibly financially underwrote um, lots of his ministry. On another occasion, he goes to pray, and this is what landed him in prison. For a slave girl who was demon-possessed, Paul rebukes that demon, and she is set free. Her owners were ticked off because she was the source of their income. And so a crowd gets stirred up, and Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. And if you're a Bible reader, you know the end of that story, when suddenly the chains fell off, the doors open, and uh, the, 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 the opportunity was there for all of them to, to escape. And Paul stops the jailer who was about ready to take his life, and he says this, is that we're all here. Now, we're not going to sit there very long on this story because, as I've said before, I'm thinking if I'm in jail, if I'm in that environment, I'm leaving. Paul does, and he says, like, we're all here. And he says this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. That was in response to the question of the jailer, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, and the jailer then welcomes Paul in, into their home. It's a beautiful story 
of faith being lived out in difficult circumstances, in different, in, in challenging times, in that faith invading the lives of others, perhaps people that you might not like so well. In fact, here's a little sidebar. Notice how, how an unlikely group of people, the jailer, right? Perhaps not necessarily like becomes part of the, of the body of Christ. That's good news for you and for me. It just says this, that regardless of our journey, where we came from, um, he accepted you and he accepted me into the family. That's good news. Amen. City of Philippi was an ancient city in Macedonia, modern, modern Greece. Um, it was called Little Rome, referred to Little Rome. Many of the uh, Philippians were retired military men who would retire there because they had been given the land in that vicinity, and in turn, they would serve as a military presence there. Now, this is important for us to kind of capture the context of, of, of Philippi, what was going on there. It was a Roman colony, and as a colony of Rome, those living there would enjoy full citizenship of Rome, including all of the benefits. So, though I'm a citizen of Rome. I'm living here. It was one of the ways that Rome would consolidate their rule by creating these, these colonies. Philippi was one. And those living there enjoyed the benefits of full citizenship in Rome. These citizens of Rome, living in this colony now called Philippi, put on the Roman lifestyle in such a way that it would attract others to, to its way of life. So get what's going on here. This colony lived out life in a way that created a desire for others to be a part. That's why it would, it would consolidate the rule of, of Rome. It's like, I want to be a part of that lifestyle. As <clears throat> this colony of Rome, these citizens lived this lifestyle, others were attracted to it. And so when Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, we'll jump ahead a chapter, these words, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew exactly what he was saying. Here's what he's saying. Look, look, your citizenship, you, you belong there, but right now you're living here. You're a colony. In fact, Moffat's translation of this verse says this, we are, we are a, a colony of heaven. So though our citizenship is there, that's where we belong we are now living here as a colony. The Greek word for citizenship is about commonwealth or community. So we're living out this community and we're to live it out in such a way that it's attractive to other people. Other people are drawn into this way of life. So they knew what Paul was, was saying. The people of Philippi were living there as colonists while citizenship was in Rome. While Christians live here on this earth, Though our citizenship is in heaven, we're a colony of heaven. So just like the Roman colony, we're to live out this life as a community then in a way that others desire to be a part. So I ask you, how does your personal journal look like? I want us to focus on our colony here, here in person, here online, and ask this question, how does our community journal read? So I want to take us from like your personal life to how are we doing as a community? How are we doing as a faith community? Because Paul in Philippians chapter 2 exhorts 
our community, or I'll just call it our, our colony here, in three ways. He says, this is how life in a faith community should look. If it looks this way, it will attract others to it. Not to the community, and I've said it this way, our desire and our goal is not to grow gateway, it's to grow the kingdom of God. This is not about gateway, it's about lifting Jesus up and lifting his name up and making his name famous. But as we live out these characteristics as a community or as a colony, others will be attracted to it, they'll be attracted to Jesus. So we're going to look at three words or three phrases that describe characteristics of a faith community. Then we're going to ask this question, how are we doing? How's, how's, our, how's our journal look? We're all individually apart, so we all individually have a role. Our faith community is made up of people. And so together, then we are called to three things. Here they are, number one, humility. We talked a little bit about that, but we're going to talk about it a little bit differently today. How we view ourselves and others. So how do we view our community, our colony? How do we view others? Number two, unity. Everybody say unity because that's, that's a big word today. I mean, it's an important word today. How we appear to others. And third, light. How do we live out our life in community for others to see? So let's talk about the first word. Humility has got a couple parts to it. Paul encourages them to do this with out ambition, selfish ambition, or conceit. So he says your humility then as a colony ought to look like this. It's, it's absent of selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. So let's talk about selfish ambition for just a moment. Now, it, it, it's proper to say not, not all ambition is wrong. We, it's not. We're talking about selfish ambition. It really speaks of being driven by the flesh. That's selfish. It's what I desire for ourselves. It's what I do or it's what we do, driven out of selfish motives to be recognized by others or do I do what I do to bring glory to God? So the question is this, what, what's my motivation? So what's our motivation as a colony. Why do we do the things that we do? Because the answer is critical here. If we live out this faith as a colony in a way to be liked by everybody, that's going to lead us down a bad road. Because it will mean we will do things in order to be liked by people rather than honoring God. Are you with me? As a faith community, is what we do done to seek status in our community, to be liked by people, or to live out the mission of God? That's an important question for all of us. Do we feed people, our, our food uh, team preparers, feed somewhere between three to 4,000 meals every year? Do we do that? Because we are committed to doing it because Jesus calls us to do that as a colony? Or do we do that in order to gain some status in our community? Do we shelter people like we'll be doing again this year and your giving helps to do that? Do we shelter people 
in order to be liked by others in our community? Or do we do it because Jesus says care for the poor? Do we hand out thousands of dollars in benevolence because you are so generous every year and every month just so that somebody will speak well of us? Because if that's our selfish motive, if that's our ambition, it's wrong. That is not what Jesus calls you and me to do this. When we do these things because God has called us to do these things, then we elevate him. We're not elevating gateway. Yes? What we are called to do. Let me tell you a little story. Years ago, um, they used to vote for the best place to worship in North Kitsap County. I am so thankful they don't do that anymore. Um, and there were years when, when Gateway, per the generosity of people, I guess, were voting Gateway as the best place to worship. Someone suggested, here's what you need to do, Tom. You, um, Gateway, you, you need to get a, get a big banner and place it on the side of the building saying, voted best place to worship. <laughs> I hope it's okay with you that I said, no, we're not doing that. Put that thing away. <laughs> a healthy community lifts others up. It mostly lifts up the name of Jesus. We lift others up individually in other Bible-believing churches because we are not in competition with other people who are preaching the Word of God faithfully. We are not. Why do we do these things as a community? It's the question I think that Paul is posing to us today. So don't do it out of selfish ambition. Or the second word there is conceit. One version uses the de designation vain conceit, or it really means this, it means empty glory. They were seeking empty glory, which was likely the root cause of their selfish ambition and would impact the unity and the harmony of, of the church. Vain conceit. Life for this person who seeks, who is conceited, looks like this and sounds like this, individually and as a colony, it's, it's, it's about me. It's about us, right? Um, what drives us individually and as a faith community is, is the question. Selfish ambition and, and vain conceit. Let me read it again. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Don't promote yourself. Don't be conceited, but in humility count others more significant than, than yourself. The two negatives are followed by a positive exhortation in humility Consider others. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others. Now, I love how the NIV Bible reads, the NIV Study Bible, some of you have that, says this. Christian love sees others as worthy of preferential treatment. Christian love takes that heart and does it for everyone. Oh, man. Because here's the reality, as we live this out as a colony, guess what? Humility is attractional. When we live out this life in the way that Jesus calls us, humility is attractional. The second word is, is, is unity. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now 
not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then this, do, do nothing, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 14. So what is Paul talking about when he says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Because we can get some wrong thinking going on here that salvation is something I got to work out in my own life. This is not what he is focusing on. He is focusing on this theme of how we live out our life as followers of Jesus. The exhortation to work out, to put into practice in daily living what God had worked in them by his spirit. They were not told, and we are not told, to work for salvation, but to work out the salvation that we have received. God had already given it to them. We are followers of Jesus. And what was happening, apparently, is there were problems of disunity and pride that needed to be dealt with. Some were not doing their work selflessly and with the interests of others ahead of their own. It wasn't working out that way. So he's like, work out your salvation, what you have received from him, in a way that's honoring and do it without grumbling and disputing. Grumbling causes disunity because it separates people and it takes our focus off of Christ. Grumbling typically focuses on our own values. Now, if I were to ask you, just think about your life this past week, would you see that? If I grumbled to Jen, notice I said if. <laughs> I could probably say when. It was more of like, well, that didn't fit into what I thought was right or how I think things should, should be going right, or, or doing. Well, it's just like, no, you do this life without grumbling or disputing. Because it causes disunity and it, it separates people. And for us as a colony, it will take our focus off of Christ because it focuses on our own values. It's what I see as important or what we see as important. So Paul does this. He says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you um, how to work this out. It's not a seven-step program. It's, it's not a 12-step program. Paul gives a, a one-step solution to unity. Are you ready for it? Here it is right here. He says, just act like Jesus. That's it right there. That's all you got to do is you just act like Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus and his attitude. That, that will do it. That will take care of it. And so he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Just live out your life in the same way that Jesus did. Here's the reality. Not only is humility attractional, guess what? Unity is attractional too. Remember, we're a colony living this life out. So when others out there see it, they're attracted to it. When the church is unified, it's attractional to all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of a God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I don't need to remind you that we are living in the world. We are not of the world. We're to be a light. That's number three. Our purpose and calling is to make disciples. 
That's why we exist. To shine bright in the dark world. That was the message of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14. He says this, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. I don't do that. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So as a colony of heaven, people who are seeking to live out this life in a way that honors him, we're a light to this community and, and beyond. We're to make disciples here, there, and everywhere. So we're to make disciples here in Kitsap County in this area. We're to make disciples in Mexico. We just heard that from Steve. We're to make disciples across the world. We're to make disciples in our region. So we're a part of a church planting project over in, over in Federal Way. This is what we're to be. We're to be, we're to be the light in the, in the world in a dark place. So if I ask us to check our journal, how are we doing as a community? How, how does it read for you and for me? for gateway, this colony of heaven. How are we doing? Dick Brogdon, who I, I follow and who has been here and spoken in this church, speaks of, of, of three martyrdoms. He speaks of red, green, and white. Now, whenever we, we talk about martyrs, and some of you have the Book of Martyrs, we, we usually go to those who have given their life, and this is true. There are, there are martyrs for the faith, people who have given their life. So that's, that's what's called red martyrdom, red martyrdom. Physically giving up one's life. Red martyrdom is the most common, or the most famous and, and, and the least common. It's called red because people literally die for Jesus, and people are literally dying for Jesus today. Their blood is being spilled. The red martyrdom is following Jesus, a physical death for your faith. Dying for Jesus is part of normal Christian life. And many are called to it around the world today. But there's green martyrdom. And that's what I'd like for us to think about for just a moment as we kind of head towards home here and think about how are we living out this faith in our community here? How are we doing? How's our journal read? Let me share with you green martyrdom. In about 350 AD, a young Romanized English boy was stolen from his country. Irish pirates then made him a slave in Ireland. Some years later, Patrick escaped and through a process of time returned to Ireland as a missionary. By this time, Patrick was elderly. I'm not going to tell you his age because I don't like the word elderly. But he was elderly and gave the rest of his life to evangelize the Irish, understanding and loving them as few before or since. Now, here's what I want you to catch. As we talk about living as a colony, living out this life that's attractional to others outside coming in, think about what's going on here. By the time Patrick died, much of Ireland was Christian. Patrick and his team did such an exceptional job of preaching the gospel that Christians almost lamented that they could not die for Jesus anymore. 
This is how it happened, though. The Irish, being Irish, innovated green martyrdom. It was birth. The Irish established monasteries wherever they went, and were, they were established for one reason. Are you ready? To take the gospel to the world by community, community and through community. Paul refers to it as a colony. This is how it worked. Patrick and his team would go into a new location, settle in, and build houses in a ring. These houses would have a fence around them, and inside the compound would be a chapel, a workshop, a dining hall, a guest lodge, and a scriptorium, a place where monks would, would make copies of the scripture, and then cl other classical literature. The Irish, they were the friendliest folk. They planted flowers and gardens, built roads and bridges, brewed ale, and shared it liberally. Um, their highs were high and their lows were low, and they shared life with all. Are you getting the picture of a colony? A monk would station himself at the gate of the monastery and wait for travelers or guests. As soon as a traveler would come, the monk would greet him, smile, welcome him. <clears throat> like if you go into Walmart, there's a Walmart greeter. Same thing. And take the traveler to the abbot. The abbot would welcome him again, pray for him, inquire of his news and needs, and then assign him to another monk. This monk would take him to the dining hall and feed him. Find him a bed in the guest house and bring the traveler to prayers. Before the guest knew what was happening, he had three new friends. He had been absorbed into the life of the community. He ate their food, sang their songs, slept in their houses, shared their chores and humor, and felt immediately that he belonged. Are you getting colony here? Are, are you getting the call to live in community together in a way that attracts others and they feel welcome? He ate their food, sang their songs, slept in their houses, shared their chores and humor, and felt immediately that he belonged. And he, they did belong. He did belong. This was a genius of Patrick and the Irish, the Celtic way of evangelism. As a team, the Irish welcomed the lost to belong before they asked them to change in belief. You belonged, and then you believed. A lot of times we do it the other way around. We present propositional truth and ask others to agree first. And then you can come in and be a part of our community. But this is not what Jesus, I don't believe, called us to. Live in such a way, individually, yes, of course, we've been talking about that. But live in such a way as a colony, as a faith community, gateway, I'm just talking about us. Live in such a way that others will be attracted to the Jesus we serve. Brogdon said, this way of red martyrdom involves laying down your life for Jesus. The green martyrdom requires the laying down of your will for one another. So two questions and then we're going to pray. Number one, how does your journal look today? How does our journal look today? Are we as a community doing things in a way to seek the glory and honor from men? Or are we lifting up Jesus in everything we do? And the second question is this. Are you ready to give up for another? Gets real quiet now, right? Are we ready to give up for another individually 
as a faith community. Because if you say yes to that, it's going to mean a deeper level of commitment than perhaps some of us have. It's going to mean a deeper level of commitment to the one who gave his life and promised you and promised me eternity with him. It means that you and I are going to walk daily in the spirit that lives in us. That's what that means. It means we're going to we're going to raise our commitment level to serving Jesus through this community. Now, we'll be talking about what that looks like in, 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 in coming days, but are you ready to do that? I hope the answer is yes. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but this world <clears throat> needs help. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but our, our community needs help. I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but we've got the answer. Yes, we've got the answer. And we get to live out this life in a way that attracts people to Jesus. Let's stand together, shall we? I'd like for you to think, I'm going to pray. I'd like for you just to, to ponder the question. To, how does your journal look today? And maybe maybe um, <clears throat> you're in that place you're not in prison because you're here. But maybe you're in a tough circumstance, tough situation this morning. And uh, maybe your journal has read a little bit more like complaining. I, I don't know. I, I know nobody's story. But maybe that's where you're at. You don't like your job. You don't like the relationship you're in. You don't like this. You don't like this. And you're just taking that, that on. It's not that, not that life doesn't offer up challenges, it, it, it does. So what are we focused on today? What's our individual journal look like? And then what's our journal look like as a community? This faith community, this church, our schools, here in Paulsville, in Chico, are we doing this thing in order to lift up Jesus? I pray that we are. If you ever suspect that we're not, I hope you say something. And I hope that you commit to living out your life in this community in a way that honors him in humility, right? in unity together, lifting up the name of Jesus as a light in the world. Amen. It's what we get to do. So Jesus, would you speak to each and every one of us today? You've called us to be a light. And, and we know, Lord, as we live out this life, that you have granted us. If we do so in humility and as we do so in unity, our focus on you, God, people will be attracted, not, 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 not to this church, not to our schools, but to you as we lift you up. I pray that every day we will live with the knowledge of the opportunity that's before us. God, for some of us, that means that we're gonna take Maybe our, the, the focus off of the challenges that we're, that we're walking through, the real challenges that we're walking through, and turn our eyes towards you, the one who is always present, who is always there. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.
giving rest to the Lord. Oh, He is Jesus. He is Jesus. Christ our Savior. He is Yeah. 
Christ our Savior.